You're listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. Today's sermon concludes our study through the book of Acts in chapter 28. John Landis preaches about Paul finally reaching Rome and how the end of Acts focuses on God's ongoing work through the Holy Spirit. That same Spirit is marching on through the lives of Jesus' disciples today and desires to see the gospel advance all the same. This sermon encourages us to continue that work by living out the kingdom of God boldly and without hindrance. We invite you to visit our website, RoanokeValleyChurch.org, to learn more about all that God is doing through the Roanoke Valley Church. Be sure to leave a five-star rating as it helps us get the gospel out to more and more people. Enjoy today's sermon, and we'll see you back here soon. In the middle of this, uh, this text here. So verse 16, it says, When we got to Rome, that's referring to Paul and, uh, and all the 276 sailors that were uh, trying to get there over the course of many months here. Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. That's a first for Paul. But we want to hear about what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul a certain day and came in in large numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen for two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance and there ends uh, Luke's book in Acts so what we'll see here is, uh, is a, real, a bookend to all the way to Acts chapter 1, fittingly so, where in Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus meets, tells the disciples to meet in Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem, and wait for power on high. And when they do, when they receive the Spirit, they're there with Jesus. Jesus tells them, now you all will go and preach to the ends of the earth. And what we see here is Luke is carrying that theme throughout all of Acts, and then here we get to what, was, what will be the center of, of the world's power at this time in Rome. And it's meant to really highlight the purpose of the book of Acts and remind us what Luke's purpose was, was to see how the gospel is unchained. 
how the gospel, despite all of its effort, all the world's efforts to cease it, to quench it, to keep it from moving time in and time again, whether it's water, lightning, earthquakes, riots, beatings, you name it, threats, words, you name it, the gospel prevails. The title of my lesson this morning is, We Hold an Unchained Word. And it's important for us to recall that and remember that what we're dealing with, what's on your lap or what's stored some miraculous way in your tablet or what's flipping around in your, on your lap, this is a powerful testament of how God operated in the world and how that work is nowhere close to being done. In Acts chapter 28, it's a little bit of, it's anticlimactic, let's be honest. You know, we just spent the last month talking about Paul's trials. Going from here, going to there, he's trying to go to Rome, there's a shipwreck, there's all this different stuff going on. And we're like, okay, when's he finally going to get to Rome? What's going to happen? What's the trial? What's, what's going to be the outcome of this trial? And we don't get any of that information. It's just over. It's just done. And you're like, whoa, I want my money back. Well, come on, man. Where's, where's, the, where, where's the ending? And there's no, you know, let's puff this up for a sequel. You know, you can kind of stomach that when you're at the movies. Like, all right, all right, there's... There's something more in a six, seven months, eight months, maybe next year. But we don't have any of this. It just, it just ends. And it ends with some powerful words there in 31 that, that the Lord Jesus Paul continues to proclaim with all boldness and without hindrance. In the Greek, for, for what it's worth, hindrance, you know, we, we think of not being able to, to move or you're, you're, you're stuck. And true, that, that, that does come through in all this. But for the Greek, when someone says without hindrance, it's equivalent to, if you're familiar, the Braveheart scene where he's, at, he's on the table and he yells, freedom. That even though he's being, you know, disentrailed or whatever, he's getting his disemboweled, thank you. Disemboweled, he yells, freedom. That even this, even though you're trying to kill me, even though you are in the process of killing me, freedom has been achieved. And it's that type of hero reality that the Greeks hear when they read this. And when the Gentiles read that they can, he continued to proclaim without hindrance. It's freedom no matter what happened. And I think that's so true, not just for them, but that's got to be our truth as well. That nothing can stop God's word. Nothing can stop our God. And we all have had moments where... We haven't always believed that, that God seems to be uh, being thwarted or God's promises seem to be stalled out or God's word just doesn't seem to be making an impact. If you've been a disciple for any time at all, you can question whether your faith is worth it, whether what you've preached or what you've shared or even, let's be honest, what you've built your life on. Is this really making a difference? Was this just some warm and fuzzies or was this just when I was younger that this really inspired me? But now that I'm older and have kids or retirement age or whatever it might be, this doesn't seem to be hitting on all cylinders like it used to. And we can doubt that God's word is somehow just squeezed in or has ceased to really make much of a difference now. And the world will give us plenty of reasons to doubt. Our world is broken and it continues to show that. And the more we look at it and think that perhaps this is what we should be looking for, the world coming back together, if that's what we're waiting for, we're, we're not going to get it. 
But as disciples, we're not meant to look at a broken world and put our head in the sand and act like it's not happening either. And that's where I believe we have opportunity to be reminded that the world ain't it and we're looking and, lo and waiting for something greater. But that the gospel's still powerful that allows us, no matter what we're experiencing, feeling, seeing, or actually anything that's being pushed against us, that we can still believe in God and his word not stick our head in the sand, but actually engage our world powerfully. Yeah. Knowing that his word will have the final say. And ultimately, with the Braveheart scene maybe rolling in your mind, there will be freedom. There will be victory. There will be a moment in time when all things come to fruition. Everything is now worth it. And we are reminded as Acts concludes with the cliffhanger, that it's just not time yet. And that the story is still being written. And there's more that God wants to do. And as we, as we look at Acts and as we study this out, you know, that's a very familiar preaching text that we're all Acts 29. Have you ever heard that sermon or heard anyone say that? We're living Acts 29. That Acts continues. And that's Luke's intention. So as corny as that is or however many times you've heard it, it's true. That Luke is intent on saying this continued on. It's not over. And it's 2022, and it's still not over. And we're meant to live in such a way with this unchained word to show that God is still on the move. You know, we can learn a few things from Paul in all of this as he's now preaching in a familiar situation before Jews who some believe and some don't. That is the common theme throughout all of Acts. There's many, many occasions where Paul himself preaches to his brothers and brothers and sisters, preaches to his people, and some are like, yeah, 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 tell me more. And others are like, get him, kill him, get, get rid of him. That's been his life. And it's true here. And it's a little bit, it's a little sad. It's, a one, it's one more time, one more opportunity in the same response. Some believed some refused to believe. You know, this passage here that is quoted by Paul in verse 26 through 27, which is Isaiah chapter 9, is actually one of the most referenced passages in early Christianity for the proof of God's gospel through or to the Gentiles and ultimately Christianity. That this transfer, this transition from this was, the Jews were God's people. They had every opportunity and at this point, they rejected it. And now we're moving on to the Gentiles. And all of us who are Gentiles in here, we say amen. amen. Not that the Jews didn't accept it, but that that gospel was always God's plan to bring it to the Gentiles. And Paul wrote by this point, if you're wondering, Romans is the next book in, in the canon. However, Romans was written, written by Paul three years prior to this, this, this story that we just read. So there's a thriving church in Rome that's already been under a number of persecutions. They've already been forced to leave and have already been able to come back now uh, from Claudius and Nero, all that kind of stuff happening. And, and uh, this, this sense of, of God working through these, these Jews, Paul writes in Romans, or through, through the Gentiles, Paul writes in Romans 10 that he wants so badly for his brothers to accept the message that he's willing to give up his own salvation for them. So even though Paul sees the Jews as rejecting this truth and quickly and willingly moving on to the Gentiles, this isn't meant to be in our minds 
that God has rejected the Jews forever, that somehow the Jews have lost their, their turn, they've lost their chance. That's not true. The hope is that they do, that all people come to repentance and get this. So this isn't anything for us to say, yeah, we, we accepted it. That, eesh, that's dangerous territory, for sure. Uh, but the hope is, as, as, it, as it is Paul's, and still Luke's as he writes this, for all men and women to come to repentance. So he writes that in this passage in Isaiah 9. It's a real big warning for all of us. Because with the story not being over yet, you and I can still fall into this mindset of being very familiar with God's word and actually not hearing it. So we all know this, and if you're married, you definitely know this. And if you're a parent, you really, really, really know this. When you say, are you hearing me? And they say, uh-huh. Like, no, no, no. Do you hear me? There's a difference between hearing and then what we'll say is knowing. Right? Rolando shrugging. He gives me lots of material every Sunday if you're with us. It's dangerous when you're up. You know, Don't look at your spouse when I reference stuff like that. Because then it's like, oh, I see it. Anyway. But this sense of, I said it and you heard me, but did you really hear me? And it implies that you heard it and you plan on doing it. And we all know there's a difference between I heard you and I have no plans on doing what you said <laughs> to I heard you and I'm actually going to apply it. And, and what God is saying here is the Jews heard it. They heard it over and over and over again. They heard it, they heard it, they heard it. Even this story, you guys were all shaking your heads of the Jews having an opportunity, some believing, some rejecting it. That's four or five times just in the book of Acts. That's just with Paul. And if you go back further to the Gospels, I mean, that's Jews every day. Every day. And we don't stick up our nose at that. We won't puff up our chest out or puff out our chest on that. For you and I, this is a warning. And also a great promise that there is truth out there that we can not just hear, but apply. That we actually can be men and women of understanding. Not scholarly, you know, the Greek and the Hebrew understanding, but understanding to the point where you can put it into practice and you see the unchained word in your life. And what I love about Isaiah 9 is that the benefits of knowing God's word and applying it is what's implied here by Isaiah, that if they had just heard it, opened their eyes, let it hit their hearts, then they would be healed. And the word of God and the powerful unchained word that it is, is meant to bring healing. It's meant to bring life. It's meant to bring peace. It's meant to bring restoration. It's meant to bring so much faith that we believe that no, that no matter what's coming our way, we know God's going to get the last word. Salvation is what it brings. And that's the opportunity we have this morning to let that unchained word be that for us and be that for our world. Paul understood that, even though he was on trial. He understood so much so that this word brought salvation to him. And no matter what, and no matter how long he's got or how little time he has, it's still powerful for the world. And again, he's in an opportunity before he actually reaches Caesar and has a trial. And if you're, let me just take a step back for a second. If you're wondering what actually happens to Paul, uh, Paul does actually have his trial. And he's acquitted and he's released and he actually goes to Spain to preach the word. That was his goal, was to get all that there. In Spain, he's arrested again 
tried again, and this time he's beheaded. So in 66 AD, roughly, Paul's arrested, brought before Nero, who I told you a couple weeks ago was really, really cool at this point. But in a handful of years, Nero goes south real fast and has had enough of this Christian sect and Paul being in his face all the time, and he's beheaded. Paul was roughly 60 years old when he was martyred, around 66 AD. So he does have his trial. He does get to preach. Uh, he gets lots of encouragement even as he's in prison. As he's in prison, this time he writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, First and Second Corinthians. It's a lot of writing. Those are a lot of books that you and I love are in, and are informed by. So he knew that even though he's in prison, even though that he says, hey, I want you to be everything like me except for these chains, he knew what he carried. He knew what God had given him. He knew the salvation he had received and the message he carried was not bound to a certain place, was not stalled out by him being in jail. That he wrote those letters to encourage the Romans, encourage the, the saints, and those words are true for us today. And they inspire and they equip. Shoot, the book of Ephesians teaches us how to do church. Imagine if he hadn't written that one. Again, so much stuff about how to live as a disciple is there in Ephesians. But to the point where Paul knew that what he had was for, for, for himself, was for his community, he wanted to keep that rolling. And he does it in a very specific way that I think you and I can learn from. What he does in this moment, as Luke captures, is that he preaches the kingdom of God and Jesus. The kingdom of God and Jesus, it's, it's synonymous. To preach the kingdom of God is to preach Jesus. To preach Jesus is to preach the kingdom of God. And the, the disciples, as they heard Jesus preach, you can, you can think about number of a number of references when Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And he talks about that tree. He talks about the tree growing up from a mustard seed where all the birds can come and perch on its branches. He talks about a number of different instances where the kingdom of God is like this, this vast variety of, of fish. You name it. Jesus preaches this image of the kingdom of God. And the Jews here, Paul does specifically, talks about this kingdom of God because that kingdom was the very one they hoped would be fulfilled one day. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that kingdom. So that preaching is like, you guys all have the same hope. Let me share with you one more time how that hope was fulfilled in Jesus. And he starts with the prophets, and he starts with the books of Moses. That same thing in Luke chapter 24, when the men were walking defeated on the road of Emmaus. What did Jesus do? He starts with all the prophets, books of Moses, and teaches them to the point where their eyes are opened and their hearts are burning within them. For, for us, in that same way, the word of God being this unchained, unchained reality for us, we've got to stay very, very aware of what the kingdom of God is and who Jesus is. We cannot get enough reminders about what the kingdom of God is and who it is that we follow. Let's be honest, guys. These last two years, how many of our eyes have been dimmed to what the kingdom of God is like? How many of us have been distracted by who Jesus really is? There are so many different things out there. Let's, hey, you know, current events. Some of us are wrestling deeply with what was just coming down from the Supreme Court yesterday. And that's enough to dim 
the reality of the kingdom of God being the ultimate truth. I'm not saying don't feel heavy or don't feel elated or however you respond to that. The truth is that's not what we look to to be cemented or grounded in this world. Next month, you will be rocked by something else. Let let me be honest. Next week, tomorrow, this afternoon, there's so much clamoring, so much clamoring about what should be done, what should be happening, what should not be happening. And I believe that we've lost the attention of people and we're more focused on rules and laws and statements and images and essays and letters and posts, and we've lost hearts. We've lost people. And it's easy for us as Christians to lose sight of the kingdom of God with all these things going on. And I think one of the number one ways we lose sight of the kingdom of God is that we forget that this is about hearts. This is about people. This is about restoration and reconciliation. This is about healing and connecting. If we take our stand on, you know, I'm going to be the doctrine guy. Amen for doctrine. That's a huge part. But if you miss people, forget about it. Who cares what you believe? You've missed people. And if you're all about people and you forget the truth, well, you'll be rocked every which way. And I think right now the world shifts to, hey, 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 just be about people alone. And they forget truth. So we are in this this place as disciples and those who want to follow Jesus, where what has to be what we preach, what has to be what we live by, what has to be unchained, In our lives, it has to be the kingdom of God, which Jesus did perfectly. Grace, people, truth. He's our example. He's how we navigate this world. So when we preach the kingdom of God, this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is unity. The kingdom of God is inclusion. The kingdom of God is reconciliation. The kingdom of God is active listening. The kingdom of God is love. The kingdom of God is sitting down and learning what people's stories are, not just quick to jump to, do you believe this truth before I've heard your story? The kingdom of God is hospitality with everyone. Hospitality. Service is the kingdom of God. Recognizing needs and hurts is the kingdom of God. This isn't just something we stand on a platform and preach. This is what's meant to be lived out and breathed among disciples. In Acts 28... It says that life, that kingdom living, is still meant to continue with us. And when I say we can lose sight of the kingdom of God, is that we've ceased at points to stop living and breathing the kingdom of God. We've stopped short and we stand on our platforms about maybe a doctrine and we forget about people as we type away on a keyboard or as we blast away on a text or as we shake our fists to the TV, or as we call up our dad and say, you can't believe them liberals, or you can't believe them conservatives, or my goodness, you know, or, or even just honestly where I go, it's just apathy. Like, oh, whatever, in two years, there'll be another this and that and this, and I just stick my head in the sand and say, well, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. And that's not who Jesus was either. 
So anyway, I know some of us are like, I, I care deeply about this stuff. And other views are like, here we go again. Another, another, another lesson with some, some politics laced in there. And I know those are both sides. I don't speak about that often anyway. But I know we can be on those two camps. And that's okay. But for us to really understand, we've got to learn all the time how to live the kingdom of God. Paul preaches that kingdom of God, saying that there is a hope, and that hope was Jesus. That hope fulfilled, that hope that you want so badly, that you've preached, and you live, and you breathe, it's been fulfilled in Jesus. They were looking for that conquering human strength, but Jesus came and defeated his enemies with humility. They were looking for someone who was going to ride in on a stallion with shiny armor, but he came in on a donkey. He didn't overthrow the Romans. He did one better. He set his people free from the rule, of rule and tyranny of sin and even death itself. You know, this morning, if Jesus is the Lord of, the li of your life, you are part of that kingdom. If, you're, if Jesus is not your Lord, you have no responsibilities to, the, to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Everything I just shared about, you know, pounding your keyboard about this and that, go for it because that's your kingdom. But if you're, a king, if you're in the kingdom of God, you have responsibilities and you have expectations and privileges of having Jesus as your Lord. And I need all the reminders I can get to be a man who lives for that kingdom, whose life, not just my words, but whose life preaches the kingdom of God and Jesus. And I have to ask myself, and I extend that question to you, is your life, are you in the fight to live the kingdom of God? Is your mind being won over by the kingdom of God? What do you put before your eyes says a lot about what you will bring in to your, life, to your lives. Do I sit before the word of God? Do I sit before creation and contemplate who God is to allow the kingdom of God to come in all the more? Being here is great, but being here and singing and hearing is only part of it. God tells us that we're actually worse off in James chapter 1 if we get really good at this. If we're really good at listening but not applying, we're worse off than if you never came. If I read every day and I don't look to apply, not only did I waste my time, but my heart just got that much harder. None of us became disciples to fill a pew, or in this case, a row, None of us became Christians because we wanted to get really good at church. We became Christians because we believed in Jesus and the kingdom of God transforming the world. Amen. That the word of God was unchained and it moved. Not only moved your heart, but it set you free. Amen. It brought you repentance and healing. It unshackled you from pornography, unshackled you from cursing, and unshackled you from, from racism and biases that were there from growing up. It unshackled you from boring pursuits and now living for a real purpose. 
But we're in danger, just as the Jews were, to hearing that message, knowing that that's what we believe, wanting those things, desiring and even looking for those things, but failing to participate in them. And that's my challenge. And I'm up here, first in line, and with a heavier load, because I'm preaching. And if I don't do what I preach, I'm judged more strictly, the Bible tells me. So, no shame, I'm in this with you, and I need your help. But what I love about Paul is that he's in all this, all these challenges, all these situations, but he continues to live the kingdom of God because he knows he holds on to a word that is unchained. And you and I do as well. You know, he does try to persuade them. And that's a nasty word right now in our world. Persuasion. Persuasion in our world equals control. You try to persuade me, you're trying to control me. And that is something we must unshackle ourselves from. Now, again, this, this might make you feel some things. So you ready? Do we still believe in persuading people about Jesus? Do we still believe that that's actually part of living for the kingdom? Is that you live a life to persuade others to know their creator? Now, I know that induces so many different thoughts. And we can have a midweek all about that. What I'm not saying is that now you need to go door knocking if you want to live for the kingdom of God. What I'm not saying is that you need to go uncomfortably blitz everyone downtown Roanoke and make them feel uncomfortable because you want to be living out the kingdom of God. What I'm not saying is that you also now need to take to Facebook and put some posts about Jesus and now you're living for the kingdom of God. What I'm not saying is now you need to call your parents and tell them how they raised you wrong or whatever. Tell them all about their incomplete faith or whatever. I'm not telling you that you need to now go to work tomorrow and figure out who's not a Christian and have some stern conversations with them. But what I do believe should be happening is that when you see people, you want to know. You want to know if they have known and do know their creator that you have a responsibility, not in your words or not in your, your savviness or not your inability to even be persuasive, but that you have been given something that is so unchained that you want to make sure others have it also. And you will find a way to connect. You will find a way to broach that topic. You will find a way to be like Jesus, not just for the means to an end, but you want to be like Jesus so that they can have the privilege that you do also. And I understand some people don't want it, and you're in good company. But where I find Paul here and where I find the challenge for me is that he's constantly, constantly wants to persuade people to know about Jesus. And over the last couple of years, I've become very comfortable in not making that my ultimate aim. And I've dumbed it down. This is confession minute. Dumbed it down to be a man who is known to be just. I say just, just a good listener. I think there's so much value in that. Knowing people's story, listening, taking the time, not going into a meeting where your goal, your objective, that they're a project 
but you actually want to know them and to know that you don't know all about what they've gone through and you can learn a whole lot from them in the process. I believe Jesus was like that, even though he knew everything. Wow. But for me, it's, I'm happy enough to think or to know that you think, I hear you, I see you. And if I know that you know that I see you and I hear you and I'm here for you, that's, that feels great. But there's been so many times in the I hear you, I see you, I feel you, I'm with you conversations where there's so much more that Jesus wants to know or have you to know. It's not really about me, but you know what? That's, that might mess up this newfound security that I've found, this newfound trust that I want to establish with this person. And I've lost a big part of the mission of being a disciple of Jesus. To help people at the end of the day be right with their creator. Are we still in the belief that we're meant to persuade people about Jesus? What may make you feel uncomfortable, as I try to find it here in my notes, is that the mission of God's church is not to do the following things. The mission of God's church is not to feed the poor. Are you uncomfortable yet? The mission of the church is not to end local or world hunger. The mission of the church is not to find everyone a home. The mission of the church is not to make sure all of you or everyone finds employment or is not, no longer underemployed. The mission of the church is not complete understanding of Greek or Hebrew. Whew, praise God. The mission of the church is not to rebuild or build marriages. The mission of the church is not to have great families. Uncomfortable? The mission of the church is not to even meet every emotional or mental health need. Now, all those efforts deserve the utmost recognition and support for what they do as their central focus. And the truth is, without those opportunities that we have, there's a lot of hurt that will continue. But who else on planet Earth has the mission to reconnect humanity with their God. Who else? Who else has the privilege to partner, to help people reconnect with God? Who has the mission for showing the people the grace and love of their very creator if it's not the church? Now, what you may be thinking is all you do is share your faith now. Don't help anybody with the poor. Don't, don't feed anybody. Don't waste your time going to the rescue mission. Don't waste your time trying to help someone link up with counseling. Don't waste your time. By the way, I have mental disorder, and I love my counselor, and I need it. So I'm not up here saying, hey. But I know we can think that, that all disciples do is just, we just preach. We just go around. Bag your mental health. If you believed in Jesus, you'd be, you wouldn't be so anxious. Hey, you know what? If you really believe God, then hey, you know what? You'd probably be more inclined to work harder and get it, you know. 
Those are some of the things that people believe about Christians who are on the mission. That's what the world, even as they come across Christians, is, you know what, the first thing you're going to tell me is what I'm doing wrong. And I think that seeps in to now where sharing your faith or evangelism or the mission is a dirty word. It's almost like, ooh, you're, you're, you're too focused on truth and you're not thinking about people. We just read the book of Acts for the last year and a half. How many times did you see in the book of Acts someone just start with this passage in Isaiah 9? You're always ever hearing and never understanding. When did you see that? Never. There was connection. There was hospitality. There was shared hope being connected. To the Gentile, Paul connected to what they believed before he brought truth. There was hospitality. People went to the homes of Gentiles, which was against their law, and sat down and had a meal and connected before they brought truth. All those things are meant to allow opportunities for the unchained word to be presented. We must, as a church, be better at connecting to our community. We must be better at taking care of the poor. We must be better at taking care of the underprivileged. We must be better at looking out for those who are under-resourced. We must encourage, with all that we've got, the men and women who take care of mental health and the physical needs of our community. We must back those. We must support those. We must get engaged. We must meet people there because that's where they want to be met. But we must never forget that our mission at the end of the day is to help humanity reconcile with God. That's my cue. Time to sweep. And that's what Acts is all about. <laughs> hey, buddy. That's what the story of Acts is all about, is how God's people were able to be called by this unchained word, be inspired by it, freed themselves, and then live in such a way to see people, to connect them with this unchained word. And that's who we're meant to be. So for us, let's think about how we feel about proclaiming the kingdom of God. How does that resonate, resonate in, in you? Is that something you're like, I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that gal. Or you know what? I don't think that's as important as X. And wherever you are, let's just start there. That's okay. This sermon isn't meant to induce you to say, you know what? I've really been focusing in on the poor and I haven't really talked to them about the Bible or Jesus. I'm a sham. No, please don't. You know what? I've been building a friendship with someone who I know their story. I know their story and they don't want anything to do with God. So I've actually showed them a relationship because they know I am a Christian. And you're engaging in relationships. You're engaging in dinners. You're having the kids over. You're engaging to show that, you know what? You care about them. Not just whether or not they agree with what you believe. Those things are powerful. So I've really got to protect us because Satan can get in there and you walk away thinking, okay, once again, to be on the mission means that all I care about and every time I see someone, I've got to say something about Jesus or else I'm a fake or I'm, 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 I'm being a fake and I'm, I'm not confident and I'm giving in to shame, whatever it might be, or I'm just a coward. 
Those are not, those are not true. But as Isaiah 9 talks about eyes, ears, and heart, when we think about living out the kingdom of God, when we think about living out Jesus, our eyes, what do we see? What do we see in the world? What do we choose to focus on? What do you hear when you're walking through the supermarket? I'm not saying eavesdrop, but what do you hear generally? What do you hear in the world? What do you hear on the news? And how does that impact you? We should hear the world's brokenness. We should see the world's brokenness and not shake a fist at it. Not say, you darn liberals, or you darn conservatives, or you this or that. And then we can understand with our hearts what we already have and what we've already been given so that we can partner with God, as he says here, when they turn, it will heal them. That our mission is to partner with God to reconcile the world back to him. And so much of that involves serving them, listening to them, weeping with them, hearing them again, playing with their children, engaging with them at their jobs, hearing the brokenness, listening to the complaints, engaging the questions, dealing with potential bitterness that they may have experienced or feel towards the church. You name it, all of that is part of understanding it with our hearts. So what hinders us? The truth is nothing. Nothing hinders us from engaging in the kingdom of God. Now we know there's sin and there's jobs and there's schedules and there's challenges and there's persecutions and fears and there's Satan. But all this in the book of Acts shows us no matter what comes our way, nothing will overcome the unchained word that God has given us. Nothing will stop the kingdom of God from moving forward. So I want us to, to imagine if we were to live out the kingdom of God, re-engage there, see what God wants us to see, hear what God wants us to hear, and understand it in our hearts, what might happen? What might happen at your job this week? If you just say, I want to see, and I want to hear, and I want to understand, so I can live out the kingdom of God this week at my job. What conversations? How might your prayers be filled for your coworkers that they know nothing about? What might be the small, small things you can do to take things off their plate? Maybe add a little bit more to yours, just a week, to help serve them. What neighbor might need a chore done? What neighbor might need to go on a date with their spouse and you can handle their kids? Or what, what, what can your neighbor just have a listening ear? Or just get beyond the how you doing head nod, guys, and actually want to know the answer to the question. How can we reconcile our community? You know, there's been talk about more and more engagement with, uh, with the youth. And there's so many people like the Holmeses and Elena and, and Brianna. And there's so many that are engaged, Tori, that are engaged with our youth in the city. And there's so much good that's going on to that. We want to adopt a street, not to just pick up trash, but to meet the people that live on that street. There's so many things, the mission that we go to. There's so many prayers. There's so many opportunities that we have, honestly, 
Let's just pick one and let's do it. But how can we reconcile a community to save lives, to restore peace? What could God do to heal brokenness? What wounds can be bound? What broken folks do you see on the streets that can have hope? What unity can be built? And I have a friend that came to our church and they said, you know what, I've seen diversity before, but I've never seen diversity like this. Something to be proud of. It's nothing that we did, it's just God building that. You know, our world who is broken in the sense of what their identity is, how can the gospel as it moves into our lives, into our community, help create healthy identities and offer safety to wrestle with those things? You know, we are a part of the solution. We've gained that and we've received that, but now it's meant to share it. You know, if we struggle with how active God can be in the world, if we struggle with what God's up to, if we question what God's doing, as we take communion really quickly and sing a final song here today, is to remember the most unchained event in history was Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That we believe that kingdom of God that Jesus was the Messiah that fulfilled all 300 plus prophecies and raised from the dead to set us free from sin and death. And that is meant to be what we hold on to. That is the unchained word that's come into the world to set us free. And as we reflect on communion, that's the, that's the victory story. That's the without boldness and without hindrance. That's Jesus busting out of the tomb saying, freedom for all who want to trust me. And that's what we have. And that's what we celebrate today. And that's what we want to live so that our world can see it too. Reflect on the possibilities, the opportunities that will come our way as we strive to continue to preach through our lives the kingdom of God and Jesus. Paul is not the hero of this story. It reminds us that Jesus is the hero. Paul's story ends this way intentionally, to put the emphasis on the word of God and the Holy Spirit and how it works. Not a man. In the same way, our lives are meant to prop up and, and encourage the Holy Spirit's activity and Jesus himself in our lives, not about us, as we go to live the kingdom of God. Let's pray and we'll have a final song here. Lord heaven, God, thanks so much for bringing your kingdom. God, thank you that you are just a perfect example of how to live in this world. God, we are conflicted. We feel things deeply and that's from you. You've given us passion. But God, we need your help to sort through the hurts in this world. Uh, even with Roe v. Wade and all that came down, some of us are feeling all different types of things because of that. God, meet us there as we wrestle, as we pray through those things, as we help our friends, uh, both Christians and non-Christians, wrestle with the implications of all that and much more. God, I pray that, uh, that you would help restore our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that you would bust forth our ears so that we can hear your message new again. God, we pray that we would engage in living like you and living for the kingdom. God, we pray that our mission would be your mission, that you would give us great discernment, that when it's time to listen, we listen. When it's time to serve, we're quick to serve. When it's time to be quiet, that we close our mouths. And when it's time to open our mouths and share scripture, that you give us the words to say. When it's time to serve, we're quick to do it. When it's time to be there, we're present. Give us the discernment, give us the power, give us the strength to be all that you want us to be. 
But I pray, God, that you and I and all of us, God, would walk out of here clear about what the kingdom of God is. Give us great opportunities this week to do those things as you give us that strength in that direction. We pray for our communion here as we break bread and share juice, that we are reminded of your son's resurrection, the ultimate freedom story in breaking forth the very word that remains unchained in our lives. We love you. We ask all this in your son's name. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. Be sure to check back every Sunday for new sermons listed right here. Subscribe to us on YouTube and like us on Facebook to stay in touch with all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley Church. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.